Well, Sunday school class, you guys are free to head out. I should say youth. The rest of you got to stay in here and endure to the end. You know it's bad when a pastor gets up in his opening verses, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. <laughs> and then, and then uses that as his, as his launching verse saying, you just need to endure with me. And you're sitting there going, great. I'm going through the great tribulation listening to this. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, again, praise, hopefully, praise the Lord. We're not going to do that. We're going to wrap up chapter three. Uh, and so speaking of endurance, uh, you know, it's taken a little bit to get further on this, uh, book of, uh, Colossians. Because it's got a lot of material. Um, there's a lot of repeat material. And, and Colossians, um, I almost want to say, is kind of like a sequel to many of the other letters that Paul wrote. Um, there was obviously some issues with the church at Colossae that he had to address. And what is comforting is to know that these type of issues also were with other churches. It wasn't just Colossae that had these problems. It was Philippi, it was Ephesus, it was Galatia. All of these, even Corinth, had these issues that they were struggling with that we see in this in these passages. And as we close out the book, we're going to go and take a look at several of those other references, a lot of them in the book of Ephesians, Because Ephesians deals with the last part of what Colossians is dealing with. And when we take a look at these principles that God is putting in this passage, specifically what we as believers are supposed to be doing, what God's expectations of us are, we find this. We find that God has an expectation with how we have relationships with other people. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's not a, a, anything of the day and age where we can just be nonchalant about what, uh, God has told us to do. Uh, we can't be nonchalant in how we form relationships. We have to be very specific in what we do. And as I've often said, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that said it, and I'm sure I probably heard it somewhere else, the Christian life cannot be on autopilot. Uh, if you try to autopilot your Christian life, you're going to crash the plane. Let's just put it that way. It, because it, it, it's you're, you're not going to be able to go through the turbulent times. You're not going to be able to go through situations where uh, sometimes you have to land, you have to take off, all of these things. It, you know, as much as we have automation on aircraft that can do some of these things, it still takes a pilot behind the yoke to be able to land that plane correctly. And we need to understand that, that if God is the one that is in control. God is the one that is guiding. God is the one that is doing these things. And there's a lot of trust that we have with him. We need to understand he is going to handle it the best way he knows. And he knows the best. There is no other way other than the Lord's way. And we have to just truly understand that. And especially when it comes to what, you know, Jesus Christ personally said. Didn't he said, I am the way. So if we want an idea of the concept of the Christian life and the way it's to be lived, it is his way. There is no other way. It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that we live this Christian life. So here we are in this last part, and we're going to take a look here in Colossians chapter 3. 
We're going to pick up here um, right around verse um, <clears throat> verse 17. I'm going to make a couple of comments, um, uh, maybe do a little bit of a review because we're going to see some of these things down at the further uh, towards the end of this chapter uh, in the same principle. In verse 17, he says here, uh, and this is, would be if you, if you're kind of writing them down that tenth, uh, principle, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the na- uh, name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And again, we talked about that principle about, can we give God, you know, uh, thanks to God while we're doing those things? If we can't give God thanks for what we're saying and what we're doing, then it ought not be done. It's just one of those things of the thou shalt nots. And we have to accept that. And and I tell you, it's one of the greatest things when we begin to trust God at what he says, believe what he says. And when he says, don't do this, we need to say, well, obviously he's got a reason why I shouldn't do it. I may not understand the reason, but I'm not going to do it. Because I don't know what that is. I don't know what the repercussions are going to be. I don't know what, uh, you know, I, if I plant that seed, I'm not sure what's going to grow. I mean, if if we were given a bunch of seeds, I don't know if very many of us could be able to determine, uh, <clears throat> you know, what the difference between the seeds are. I mean, if we were to, to see the seed of a pineapple, would we be able to identify it? How many of you have actually ever seen the seed of a pineapple? How many of you were sitting there thinking about it? I've actually never even thought about that. <laughs> you go and you get, a, 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 you know, a, a, one of those pineapples, fresh ones, and that outside, you begin to pull back some of those things that have kind of formed up over the outside of it, that that uh, rind, if you will, and you start pulling it back, you'll start finding there's a little seed that's tucked in there. That's the seed that, that pineapple uses to grow another pineapple. And it's got multiple of them on there. But if we were to put one down, we probably wouldn't know what it is. And I'll tell you this, sometimes when God says, here are some seeds I want you to plant, you're not going to realize exactly what's going to come out of it, but it's going to be fruit of the Spirit. And then we go, well, I want to plant these seeds. And he says, no, you don't want to see what's going to come with those things. That's a blackberry bush. That's bamboo. <laughs> that's an invasive species that's going to dominate your life. You don't want that. You don't want that. So again, there has to be this trust when we start realizing there's a lot of thou shalt nots. And as we look at this here, everything that we're supposed to do is supposed to be done in the name of Jesus. If we can't do it in the name of Jesus, then don't do it. We We, we, we can't do that. I mean, you know, just to use a very wild, broad example, it is really hard to do uh, something in the name of Jesus that is sinful. A person can't sit there and pardon if you don't know what I'm talking about, then praise the Lord. You can't toke up and say, hey, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Because people need to understand those things alter. First and foremost, those type of things, they open doors that ought to be closed all the time. Because you don't want to see what's on the other side of those things. You know, I tell you, being in the hospital and having all those, you know, 
pain pills and things like that after a while, you know, there was some strange stuff that I saw. And as I tell you before, you know, you know, some of the ones that were just really kind of out there is again, that big stack of pancakes with all the syrup pouring down and the butter on the top. And there's a little Abraham Lincoln dancing on the top of the thing. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. It means that I've met my maximum dose for the day is probably what it means. <laughs> I need to back off a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, again, therein lies, you know, this thing of, of understanding, this concept of understanding, hey, I need to be able to do it all in the name of the Lord. And that leads into this 11th principle, which takes up uh, quite a few of these verses, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, which is whatever relationship I'm entering into needs to be done the right way. God has a standard of practice that he demands of us and says, this is what you need to do if you want the relationship to be what I intended it to be. And there's a lot of things that people don't understand about that. Because right out of the gate in verse 18, and let's read verses 18 through 22 here, and we'll kind of get to a, an understanding. Uh, verse 18, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 22. Servants, obey in all things, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, we'll get to the, the, the rest of the passage here later on, but right there, he addresses a majority of the relationships. He doesn't address uh, necessarily things dealing with uh, other saints. He doesn't necessarily deal with friendships in this, in this, but he does deal with the major ones that we deal almost on a day-to-day basis with. And he, he, he comes out of the gate and, and, and the first one that he says is he starts talking about wives and there's an expectation. There's an expectation. And here's an interesting thing that, that, that uh, you know, all married couples really need to understand and realize. Your relationship is supposed to be representing the relationship between Christ and his body. It's supposed to be demonstrating something that Christ has mentioned in typology in Ephesians chapter 5. We've got to understand that. Our relationships are part of our witness to the world. And here, this very first one, he starts off with wives submitting. And in this day and age, uh, people don't want to talk about that. They'll avoid it. They'll try to explain it away. But the fact is, is that God says this, and he says it in multiple places. Not only does he say it here, but, you know, take a look at a couple other passages. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
And he gives a further explanation of it. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be under their own husbands and everything. That's the expectation God lays out. The, 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 he, he gets into details about this because he wants us to understand that this is a representation of what he is talking about here. As he's saying here, he's head of the body. He's head of the church. That's what Jesus Christ is. God has established authorities for a reason. Now, if you back up to verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So subjection and submission is not just for wives. Subjection and submission is for everyone. Now, here in this specific passage, he is talking about this, and he's pointing it out in the marriage relationship because there is a hierarchy that God has. Just like there is a hierarchy that God created when he created governments. Just like there's a hierarchy when he uh, created procreation where the children don't dictate to the parents what goes on in the home. As a matter of fact, God says that the children need to be ruled. Now, again, not ruling in a form of a dictatorship where you're, you know, you're, you're being abusive because he addresses that, you know, in many chapters, many areas. There should be love that is demonstrated to that child, not abuse. That, that's just wrong. Not only, you know, do, do, and again, we kind of have this mentality that, uh, that sometimes we think that God's okay with some of that stuff. No, he's not. No, he's not. Remember what he said about offending children. He said, it's better you put a millstone about your neck and you throw yourself into the sea. You know, sometimes people will jump on that and they say, well, that's just primarily for, you know, for pedophiles and things like, no, 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 no. <clears throat> the context that he was talking about there was, if you will, having a spiritual relationship with God. Here's these children trying to come. Disciples are trying to prevent them. Jesus Christ warns them, don't do that. These children need to learn. These children need to have this as an example. But here we see here, God's talking about wives. Turn over to uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three, verse one, it says, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair, wearing of a gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now here, I want to point this out. You know what God's saying? You can dress up the outside, but it's not the outside that really makes the difference. It's the inside. It's the inside. 
In this day and age, and we live in a world today that is focused on the external. It's focused on the flesh. Uh, you know, we, we all understand this today and we're sitting in here and we're adults. <clears throat> There's a hypersexualization of children out there. There's a hypersexualization of, of women out there. And it's grotesque. Because it's all about lust. Here's the situation that God's getting at. He's saying, look, you know what? You're not going to, if you will, lead somebody to the Lord by the outward appearance. You're going to lead somebody to the Lord by demonstrating truly who lives in your heart. That's the ornament that you need to hang about. Somebody that is a godly woman, or I shouldn't say somebody, that kind of sounds a little in this day and age. A woman that is a godly woman very clearly is going to demonstrate that in their life. You know what's going to be coming out of their mouth? Things that are godly. Bible. Talking about Jesus Christ. Talking about that desire. All of those things. Why? Because here's one of the most important things. Before that wife can learn how to submit to her husband, she has to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ comes before her husband. Her husband says, let's go rob the bank. Let's go rob the liquor store. Uh Uh-uh. No. We have examples in Scripture. I mean, what do you find over there? You find Abigail not agreeing with her husband and doing something that was totally the opposite of what her husband wanted to do. But you know what? God gave her enough discernment and understanding to know if I do that and I do what my husband did, we're all dead. We're all dead. I mean, you know, because let's understand this. There is no way Nabal and his servants could withstand David and his mighty men. You go over and read what David's mighty men did. Nabal's crew was nowhere near that. Nowhere near these guys that had, you know, that were like lions. Nowhere near, you know, men of war like Philistines and so on and so forth. It would have been a complete, total, utter slaughter. They wouldn't have stood a chance. So Abigail understood what the biblical principles were. She did the right thing. Nabal did the wrong thing. Abigail was rewarded. Nabal was also rewarded. And died very painfully because of it. But that being said, here's the whole concept, is that in order to do these things, all the other things that we saw with the previous ten Principles must be applied because you can't do the 11th principle if the other 10 are not there. There's a reason God has lists. God has processes. He likes to do things in a certain order, in a certain way. Why? Because it's one's foot in front of another foot. He doesn't like trying to jump ahead. 
He specifically says that. He says, don't be like the horse and run ahead of me. Don't be like the donkey that I got to drag. He makes it very clear he wants to walk with him in his timing, in his steps. And we find here that a woman that is doing those things that is subject to Christ and is, if you will, subject to the Lord, and as it specifically says that they're supposed to do that, uh, you know, in the Lord, very specifically, as it is fit in the Lord, going back to to the book, the uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, as it is fit in the Lord, that means, does it fit in God's will? Does it fit in God's will? You know, and, and I've often said this, you know, the, the whole, the whole idea of the, the wife being, uh, keepers of the home is, is, you know, or, or at home is something that, that we really need to, you know, get a hold of. By the way, it also says that of the husbands too. They're supposed to be keepers too. And when we start understanding what a keeper is, we start realizing that is a huge responsibility. It's like a gatekeeper. What comes in and what goes out. That's the responsibility of both a husband and a wife. They're supposed to be guarding those things. And it's something that has to be taught. It's not going to be something that comes naturally. It's not going to be something that comes naturally. You know, here we are, we're going to be talking, you know, and we talked last week and this morning, we're going to talk more about it, you know, talking about relationships, primarily looking at these young people and looking at their relationships that they're forming and that they're making. Are they making the right ones? Are they doing the right things? All of that, we, we, we truly have got to, to, to look at those concepts, those principles. And, and we need to start them earlier than what we start them at nowadays. At 18 years old, it's not the right time to teach them this. It's not the right time to teach them this at premarital counseling. Premarital counseling should just be a review of what you've already learned. But in this day and age, people aren't taught that. We need to be taught these things. And here we are looking at this and he says, you know, again, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. I mean, this is, this is, this is something that when we look at it, this submission part is where people rebel. People don't like to submit. They don't like to submit. Inevitably he's going to say somebody will, you know, and I've heard it said, people will start thinking this. Well, why do I have to submit to him? Well, let's understand this concept. The ideal way that God has designed the marriage is this. Both are to be submitted unto the Lord first. And understand this. The husband has a massive responsibility. Massive responsibility. He's got to be the leader. And not just in the physical sense. You know, in this day and age, everybody's like, well, the, the, the man's the provider of the home. No, he's not. 
No, he's not. God is. We've got to start with that concept first before we start talking about, you know, the man being a provider of the home. No, God has given the ability to that guy to do it. But we also find that the woman needs to be a provider in the home as well. Proverbs chapter 31. I mean, you can't ignore that. I understand, you know, that Proverbs 31 is, is specifically talking about, in a very spiritual doctrinal sense, talking about wisdom and who she is and what she does. And, and, and again, that's part of those dark sayings that he says, you got to get in there and search it out and look at it. But there's also, you know, uh, if you will, some guidelines about what they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. Because in the end, what do we see? We see that the, 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 the husband and the children are very thankful for the wife and what she does. Because she's submitted to the Lord, because she's providing, because she's doing all of these things. And when I start talking about provider of the home, let's understand it's not just the physical things. It's not just food and shelter and clothes. It has to be spiritual provisions. That needs to be, and it must be the case. So in this process, what we begin to see is we see that the wife begins to prepare, and if you will, she's preparing her heart to serve the Lord. She's preparing her heart to do for her husband, to support him. Because in the next passage we see here, here's another situation. Here's another relationship. So we see very clearly, he says, look, you know, there's a submission that has to take place. People rebel against that. We understand that. And it's hard if the husband is rebelling against the Lord and isn't growing or isn't, isn't saved to begin with. That, that creates a bit of a problem. But the Bible really talks about exactly what's supposed to happen with that situation. If they're content to dwell, then let them dwell. You can continue to be the witness as we see over there in First, in First Peter chapter three, that's the concept. That's the concept. So we look at this and we realize that the next thing that we see in verse nineteen is we see the next relationship. So here we have a wife with her husband and how she's supposed to approach that situation as she's being submissive to the Lord. As she's being submissive to the Lord. That's how this is phrased. When we take a look at in verse 19, he says in verse 19, husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now again, we go back over there to Ephesians chapter 5 and we see more detail that he provides in this passage. In verse 25, Ephesians 5, husband love your wives even as Christ also loved the, the church and gave himself for it. That is a key thing. That is something that absolutely must happen. The husband must realize that he has to be 100% Christ-like. Everything that he does has to be led by the Lord and has to be Christ, if you will, mirrored. Because here he's saying very specifically, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. 
let me ask you this. How, how, how much do you think God loves you? Oh, man, we can talk about the love of God, right? We've got a hymn about it, the love of God. We enjoy singing that one, talking about that there's no way that even, you know, if every man was, tra- you know, uh, um, uh, was a scribe by trade, you know, the, the earth, uh, the, the sky was a scroll, the seas were the ink. It was like he's talking about there's no way we could exhaust talking about the love of God. Romans 8 describes that when nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 5 talks about the love of God that was demonstrated and shown and that he died for us while we were yet sinners. I mean, the, the, the love of God just is talked about over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. You can't escape it. So when we begin to realize that, that is how God's expectation of the husband is supposed to be when he loves his wife. You realize that God doesn't get bitter? Bitterness is a sin. God doesn't get bitter. Now, he will exact justice, and there are times that he sends out wrath as appropriate. But the description of God is merciful and long-suffering. Merciful and long-suffering. He's a loving God. A husband in no way, shape, or form should ever utter the words, I'm sick of my wife. I can't take her anymore. I can't live with her. Those are problems. So here what we're seeing is, is, is that God establishes very clearly how we're supposed to love. It's a giving. Well, how long do I have to give? Till you're dead? Till you're called up out of here? Well, I don't know if I have that much to give. Well, praise the Lord, you're not the one that provides it, right? It's God that's going to continue to give to you. The reason why you run into situations where people are like, I don't have that much left to give anymore, is because they never went back to the source of what gave them in the first place. They never went back to God. They're not in the Word of God. They're not doing the things of God. They're not submitting to God. They're not doing any of that, and that causes a problem in the relationship. So what we begin to find here is very clearly is God is saying, look, there's something that needs to be done in this. What needs to be done in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 uh, is this, is that the men are responsible for demonstrating love. It's not, it's not all about the love of the, you know, of the wife or the love of the mother. It's the love of the father. It's the love of the husband. It's the love of God that's the standard that we see here. And he mentions very clearly, and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. Why? Because you know what happens when there's bitterness? 
It hinders your relationship with God. Turn over to First Peter again. Let's go over to First Peter chapter three. You know how sometimes, and I'm talking to the men right here, okay? You know, wives, there's a principle that you can understand with this too. There's an application that you guys can get with this as well. But I'm just going to talk to the men just here for a moment. You ever get to a point where sometimes you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? Or they just come out of your mouth and they just seem to like fall onto the floor? Start checking out your relationship with your wife. Verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, a lot of people are like, well, that means I need to know uh, who she is and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's an understanding of that. But you know where knowledge comes from? The Word of God. Dwell with them according to the knowledge. The knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Start with that. You want to know more about your, your your wife? Start by fearing God. Start by fearing God. That'll begin to put the whole submission thing into very clear perspective. Because if a guy walks around going, oh, you must submit to me, you totally don't understand God at all. You, you, you're, you're off reservation, in my opinion. And, and, and be careful because God will drag you back yeah. or he'll leave you out there in the wilderness for a while. Be careful with that thought. So when you're talking about knowledge, we're talking about knowledge of the word of God because the word of God will show you how to treat your wife. Will show you how to have that relationship with her. Will show you exactly what God's standard is. What the standard of that love is Jesus Christ and the church. And man, does he love his church. Even when there's not that much love coming back. God still loves him. God still loves him. According to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. A lot of people don't understand that word honor anymore. They don't, they, they don't get what that is. Honor your father and mother. Honor the king. These, uh, uh, honor each other. You're sitting there going, man, honor's a very, yeah, and it's not just a simple thing of respect. There is more to honor about preference. About preference. Honor and charity Walk together. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very difficult for us as believers to try to honor somebody if we're not charitable. He says, honor, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, again, they start talking about the weaker vessel. Let's, just, let's understand this concept. We're all vessels. I've used this example time and time and time and time again. I'll continue to use it till the day I die or the Lord corrects me otherwise, all right? We're all vessels. We all carry water, right? What we put in is what comes out. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty easy. That's, you know, 
Whatever's in your heart comes out of your mouth, okay? So let's understand that concept. We get that concept. We're all vessels, as says over there, Paul talking to Timothy. There's vessels of honor and there's vessels of dishonor. When I was in the hospital, I had a few vessels of dishonor. Bedpans, urinals, things like that. Dishonor. They don't really, I mean, you know, that's not something you want to put down at the dinner table, okay? But what he's talking about here is with this vessel, this weaker vessel, he's saying that there are certain things that we need to be aware of that that we need to make sure that we're keeping correctly. You know, Adam kind of failed over there in the garden. He was supposed to keep the garden. He was supposed to keep the garden. Now think about this for a second. What are you going to keep in perfection? No weeds, no need for watering. There's no death. So what do you do? You fluff up the flowers? What does the word keep mean? He's a guard. He's a guard. He probably should have kept that serpent out. He should have been keeping that relationship with his wife. And when that snake came up and started having a conversation, he's like, who are you? What are you doing? What are you talking to my wife? Get out of here. God, what is that thing? Why didn't he do that? So here's a situation where he says, look, you know, it's a weaker vessel. He needed to be defending. He needed to be, if you will, you know, standing in the way and saying no. We're all vessels. Weaker vessel. Still does the same thing. It still carries something. Still carries the water of the word of God. Still distributes it freely. But let's face it, guys are like an army issue canteen. You can punt that thing off of a cliff, go down, fetch it, and fill it back with water and carry it back up, and it's still fine. And I, I, I still have my old, you know, issued uh, canteen. That thing is, uh, it's still around. Uh, I'm sure it's probably filled with all sorts of cancer-causing, you know, things from the plastic or whatever. But I, this, this is the one thing I know, is I can take that thing and I can abuse it and 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 then and then abuse it. And guess what? It's still going to do its job. I can't do that with a China vase. You don't take a China vase when you go backpacking, when you go camping, No, it has a place of honor. It's delicate. You have to care for it. You have to be careful with it. You can't be treated the same way. And some women, well, I don't want to be treated like that. Well, that's the way that God made it. So take it up with him. When we start looking at this here, he says, the weaker vessels... He says, and being heirs together of the grace of life. This is what I like. You want equality? There you are. You're both heirs. You're both heirs. You both get eternal life. 
you're both going to be together with the Lord. And praise God for it. He makes it very clear here, uh, being heirs together. There's no, if you will, when it comes to salvation, there's no hierarchy. I've heard some crazy stuff. I heard one guy talking about and preaching one time that uh, women couldn't be saved because they're a secondary creation and they're just no better than beasts. And I'm like, well, that creates a lot of problems over there in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> just going to say, let's just put it out there. But uh, no, that is not, and that's a blasphemous statement. That's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. But I'll tell you this. They're both heirs to the grace of life. We both get to, you know, if you will, partake of the mighty works of God of salvation. And here's why we have to do all of those things. And if we don't do all of those things, if we don't dwell with them according to knowledge, if we don't give them honor and we don't uh, realize they're weak or vessel and we don't realize also that they're heirs together with us, that they're not lower life forms, that they're not beneath us. Guys, look, you don't do that, here's what happens. That your prayers be not hindered. Your prayer life is going to suffer. It's going to suffer. These are the way that God created relationships. Go back over there to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, the next relationship he starts talking about in verse 20 is this, is children obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. He, he repeats the same thing over there in the book of Ephesians. Here's the expectation. God has an expectation that children would obey. Why? Because they love their parents. Just like we obey God. Because we love God our Father. That's the reason why we obey. We don't obey for the benefits. Now, there are promises to obedience. There are promises that God says are going to happen. We understand that and we get that. But look, if a child is obeying you because he's going to get a treat, then they don't understand the word obedience. They should obey regardless of what they get. They should obey because I love mommy and daddy. That should be the concept. I mean, this is the way that the concept is with the Lord. Obey him because you love him. First John. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That simple. Doesn't say if you love me, you're going to do what I say, and then you get a treat. Then you get to go outside and play. Then you get a candy. Then you get to watch your favorite TV show. No, that's not what God says. He just simply says, if you love me. These are concepts that we need to teach children. Why? Because it has a concept of what we do with the Lord. And how we, how we do this. And he says, this is well pleasing unto the Lord. It's well pleasing to the Lord. Remember what, what Paul said was going to be one of the signs of the last days? 
disobedient to parents. We live in a day and age where that is what is taught in schools. Disobey your parents. You don't have to tell your parents that. You don't have to do what your parents say. Why? Who becomes the enemy? The parents. I saw this clip of a talk that this woman was giving that escaped from North Korea. And she said, you know, one of the first things that they do and they teach you is that if your parents say anything against the government, you need to report them. Why? Because the parents aren't the ones to be trusted. The government is the one to be trusted. That's how it starts. I don't think I need to go into great description of what's going on today. I think we should all understand that. If we don't understand that, then I'll give you a dissertation later on about exactly what the world is teaching these children in these schools. But they're teaching them to disobey. They're not teaching them to love the parents. They're teaching them to hate their parents. Because the parents are the killjoy. The parents are the ones that are keeping you from from truly experiencing life. Man, that sounds really familiar. Like I heard that somewhere over in Genesis 3. Oh, God's keeping you from... No. Oh, your parents are... No, they're doing it because they love you and they want to care for you and they want to protect you and they don't want you to... They don't want to see that happen to you. There's a concept. There's a reason. This pleasing unto God. It's pleasing unto God. Everything we say and do according to Revelation 4 is to what? Please Him. We were created for His pleasure. And just the simple act of obedience pleases God. And didn't He say that it's better to obey than to sacrifice? Didn't He say He'd rather have a heart change than a, than a whole bunch of sacrifices on an altar burning flesh? He'd rather have that heart that loves him and is willing to do what he wants than have a bunch of sacrifices that are empty and doing nothing. That's what God says about relationships. In verse 21 here, he says, fathers, 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 I'll get it out, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. He says the same thing over in Ephesians chapter 6, where he's talking about uh, uh, fathers, where he says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Both of what we see here is this, is that we see this concept of uh, fathers, you've got a big responsibility. Now, obviously, there's an application here to mothers as too. Let's, you know, we're not going to just disregard that. But again, men, that responsibility falls on you. We live in a day and age where men are no longer men. And it's been happening for a long time. I've mentioned this before. There was this one pastor of a church, and he looks out in his congregation, and he's like, why is it almost all women? Sunday morning, it's almost all women. Why? What's the concept with that? So, he, you know, again, it starts sort of sounding like a bad joke. Of some, so he calls up a rabbi friend of his and says, what's going on here? 
The rabbi says, I got the same thing going on in my synagogue. He's like, what? Calls up a priest. I know, it's starting to sound like a bad joke, but he calls up a priest, and the priest says, yep, same thing. Calls up an imam at the local mosque. The imam in the mosque goes, yep. Yep. He said, I can't seem to get these young men to do anything. Why is that? We've we've hit a, a tipping point in the world today where men have been trained and men have been taught to only concern themselves with the physical and not with the spiritual. They're the physical laborers, they're the physical providers, they're the physical this, they're the physical that. Nope, they're the spiritual. That's the way that God created it. That's the way that God intended it. And we have so far departed from it. And fathers, the great responsibility lies on you to make sure the children aren't provoked under anger and under wrath. What does that mean? We live in a day and age where there's a lot of angry children. Just go to a Walmart and watch one deprived of a Sour Patch Kid. It, It gets ugly. It gets ugly. We've all seen videos of it. We've all been there. I mean, back in the day, I remember, you know, hearing about it from pastors that were up there and they were talking about the Kmart and everybody's like, what's Kmart? It was before Walmart. So it was, you know, and in between there, we had Bymart and uh, every other Mart that was there. But the idea and the concept is, is that, you know, a child didn't get what the child wanted and all of a sudden threw a fit. Fathers aren't teaching what they're supposed to be doing. Fathers aren't teaching the right principles. And he says here very clearly in verse 21, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. We live in a day and age where the the the, the demographics are showing that young people leave the church at a, an alarming and, if you will, shocking amount of just shocking rate. And look, you know, we've all seen it in this church. I've seen it in other churches. I talk to my pastor friends. They see it in their church. And it's a horrific thing. And the reason is, is because the children are discouraged. If a child is not taught the way that the child is intended to be taught according to the word of God, they will be discouraged in life and they will give up. And that's when we start seeing, and let's be serious about this, that's when we start seeing Young people killing themselves. Suicide. Suicide. And they're the ones that are committing suicide. But it's still not the top. The ones that are committing suicide more and more, more than than any other demographic, are, are men from the ages of about 30 to 50. That's the top demographic of who's killing themselves. That's sad. But what we find here is he says you're supposed to, you know, if you will, uh, over in Ephesians 5, he says that we're supposed to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know what? We take a look at what nurturing and admonition is. 
It means that we're supposed to be promoting growth. You're supposed to be seeing your children grow in Christ. You're supposed to see them trust Christ as their Savior. You're supposed to see them be obedient to the Lord. You're supposed to see them learning from the Scriptures. All of these things that we see as a principle of what God teaches us that we're supposed to train our children correctly. Again, this is a relationship. The next relationship we see is one there in verse 22 where he says, Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I'm going to briefly say this, and we'll pick up a little bit more about it next week. One thing that we need to understand is this, is that people are going to have, if you will, relationships in the form of a workplace. You, we have jobs. We all understand we have jobs. We all understand that we need to do a good job. But God has a certain design about the way that they're supposed to do it. And if there's one thing that I know is that if you ask a bunch of people in here how to work go, guess what's going to happen? A bunch of people are going to complain about work. And a lot of people are going to complain about their bosses. You realize that that, that as a as an employee, your responsibility is to be a witness to that boss. It's not about your raise. It's not about your increase. It's not about your performance. It's about are you a witness to them? That's what God's intention is. Now, we're out of time. We'll pick this up, Lord willing, next week. I was hoping to get through this, but we got a little bogged down. Sorry. That happens. But, uh, again, thank you for enduring, but we're not at the end yet. That comes next week. But, uh, again, just kind of understand God cares about our relationships. He has a standard of how he wants them. Now, I'm just doing a very, very brief overview of all of these things. I could go into them a lot more detail. But the idea and the concept of this 11th principle that we're seeing here is that the relationships are supposed to be the way that God wants them to be. And they will be that if you follow the other 10 before it. And then it all comes down to that 12th principle that we'll get to that we see at the end of it. That all things are done for one specific purpose, and that's God. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for what you've taught us already. And again, this is briefly going through these uh, relationships. I pray, Lord, that we would just endeavor and we, to please you and to honor you by following what your standard and what you desire for us to do in these relationships. Pray, Lord, that we would all listen to this, hear it, heed it, and do it. That, Lord, we would be those that please you and honor you, that follow uh, this idea and concept, Lord, that we see here in, in the book of Colossians about you being preeminent. In order to do that, Lord, our relationships need to be in the right place where you're the one that's guiding them, you're the one that's directing them, you're the one that we're submitting to, you're the one that we obey before we do anything else. And Lord, I just pray that we would grab that concept. Pray you be with us for the 11 o'clock service. And these things I do ask and pray in your son's name. 
Jesus Christ. Amen.